All right. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to I Am a Black Woman, Yes, I Matter, Parenting Black and Brown Children. I really appreciate you all being here. But most importantly, I'm here to spotlight James Oliver Jr., who is the creator of Parentpreneur Foundation. So, James, let's kick it off. Why do we have the Parentpreneur Foundation? Well, because, you know, being, well, first of all, the Parentpreneur Foundation is, the purpose of it is to empower Black parents who are entrepreneurs to be the best possible parent and entrepreneur they can be. Uh, because if you know everybody knows that for brown entrepreneurs, black and brown entrepreneurs, it's very difficult to get access to capital, get access to resources. But if you're a parent, you know, we were just talking, you know, I have seven-year-old boy, girl twins. I started my business, uh, which was a tech startup, uh, right when my children were born two days, they were born three, three, two days before I started a tech accelerator, but they were three months early and they only weighed two pounds a piece. So, you know, and I had a two hour drive each way back and forth to the accelerator, some in and out of the NICU, the pressure of getting a minimum viable product built, you know, raising cash, running out of cash, you're trying to be a great parent. It's a ton of pressure that people don't understand if you're an entrepreneur and a parent. And then, you know, so why is it for black parentpreneurs not for everybody? Because George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, you know, Ahmaud Aubrey. Okay, so here we are. Um, yay, great, I'm so happy I see James on here, who is the founder of Parentpreneur, who's here in the comments, you made it. Thanks so much, James. And we thank you so much for your sponsorship. If you guys are not already part of the Parentpreneur, Group. It is a free community with awesome resources. Please go to parentpreneurfoundation.org and support um, all of our black parentpreneurs out there. Um, so I'm gonna, we're gonna just sort of shoot the breeze for like five minutes because I misscheduled the live and it starts technically at 12:10. But here we all are, um, and I just thought like, look, let's just to chat for a little bit. Um, if you have been on before, um, you know a little bit about why I do this work, why I'm a black woman, Yes, I Matter is now a virtual series, but I'll just go back into the history of it. Um, as you know, as most of you know, I think, uh, if you've ever had any sort of communication with me, I always end my communications with the word peace. Peace is my motto and it stands for positive education always causes elevation. And that's so true. I try in my daily life always to figure out ways that we can educate, empower, and elevate. This is the purpose of this conversation, is to educate, empower, and elevate all of us. And I think sometimes people think like, is the Kumara just come up with this in 2020? No, Kumara has been about black sisterhood and sisterhood generally my entire life. <laughs> I feel like I came out the womb like, where can I meet little friends? Um, and what's so special about today's event for me especially is that these are lifelong friends of mine. Um, one is my sister, so I've known her her entire life. Uh, but my, my friends, I have known them for 20 plus years. So when you think about that, that's like amazing to be able to have these awesome friendships. Um, I'm totally gonna just kind of put them on the spot since we have uh, four minutes. Um, let's talk about one of your favorite memories of me, or we can talk about how we met. I see people chuggling, so you must have a lot of memories over here. <laughs> Who likes I'm, to go first? I'm, I'm going to jump in on this one for sure, because one of our favorite stories, can you guys see me? Okay. Yes, one of our favorite stories is how we actually met. Um, so long story, and we have lots of stories, but I'll just stick with this one because it's kind of PG, so we can work with it. But, <laughs> um, Kumara and I met because our parents worked together. 
And I had just moved from Nigeria and our parents sort of said, oh, our daughters are the same age. They should meet, they should be best friends. And I think we both were like, I was like, oh, this girl has no friends. She's looking for somebody who just came in and is trying to be her, my friend. And Kumar was like, this little African girl, I don't know her, I don't wanna be her friend. But our parents made us, um, you know, sort of meet. And we went to go watch Julia Roberts, which Kumara, who Kumara loves. And it was something to talk about, I think, was the movie that we watched. And I remember we went in, we sat down, we watched the movie, and literally just started talking. And we have been best friends since for, you know, 25 years plus since then. So that's uh, how we met all those years ago. <laughs> that is so true. We have to give props to our parents for setting us up on a blind friend date. And here we are 25 plus years later. So it's awesome. All right, next memory. I can go. So what's interesting is I have so many that are completely inappropriate to share on this channel, so I won't. I'll actually share one that's somewhat relevant to this topic. Um, when I was in high school, there was a racial incident that had happened at high school, and I had stood up in support of a teacher who was spoken ill against. Um, she was a black teacher, and somebody had spoken very poorly against her. And I spoke up in a very public forum which was supposed to be a Quaker meeting and you weren't supposed to judge what anybody said in these meetings, but I got very much reprimanded by the school and sidelined in many ways. And I was called into the office and told that I had psychological issues from things that had happened in my childhood. And there was all these things that came out of it. And it was, you know, a very challenging time to be in high school. And I will never forget to no um, direction of mine, Kumara stood up in front of the entire school and read a piece that she had written about what it takes to be a friend and to stand up and to use your voice. And I'll never forget that because it was putting herself on the line. She was a senior, she was graduating that year um, and the school would have kicked her out if they were upset enough. Um, and it was, I, I've never felt so much support and love from a friend who had everything to lose in that moment and stood up for everything that meant a lot to me. Adila, that's actually one of my favorite memories about our friendship as well. Like, so that's so good to know that it still means something to you. I really appreciate that. Um, okay, who wants to go next? I'll, I'll go next. This is Sharita. I'm Kamar's sister. And honestly, I feel like there's so many memories just because, right, we grew up together. Um, but I just remember her being like such a great big sister. And like, I know little sisters can be really annoying, but like when we wanted to play dolls or whatever, like Kamara was just always there and always so caring. And actually, you know, she's still that person today. And she's the mother, excuse me, the godmother to my children because of that. Like she's such a unique, strong individual, so caring that I literally couldn't think of anyone else that I would want to care for my children if something happened. So I just feel so grateful that she is my sister and in my life and just like amazing individual, so. Oh, thank you, sister love, real sister love, biological sister love, I love that. It's so funny, because I never think I'm a good <laughs> older sister at all, so it was so gratifying to hear. Thank you, Sharita, I really appreciate oh, that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Yasmin, or Lucia, whoever wants to go next. I'll jump in, oh, sorry, no. Go ahead. Um, so Kumara and I have known each other since freshman year in college, and it's funny, because when we've, we first got to meet each other. We were friends through a larger friend group. And, you know, I wasn't really sure how I felt about Kumar. I was like, I don't know. She's always just hiding out in her room. Like, I don't know about that girl. 
she's kind of to herself. And then as I got to know the larger friend group a little bit more, I was hiding out in Kramar's room too a lot. So <laughs> we ended up, I think, being some of the tightest, if not the most close friends from that group um, because of so many of the reasons that everybody else has said. She's just a loyal, caring friend and she's a real person. Um, and there's nothing superficial about her. And you know, that's the kind of people that I need and want to keep in my life. I'm appreciative of her. Yeah, so there is definitely nothing superficial about you. You keep it real, like 110%. <laughs> Alushala. Well, I um, actually have known Kumar the least amount of years on this call, but uh, we actually met through a mutual friend. And my, um, my, the, scene in my mind that sticks out with Kamara is when we were, um, we both showed up early to sort of a networking um, happy hour. And uh, she's like, sis, what's going on with your life? How's the job going? Blah, blah. And I'm dealing with all these, you know, crazy, mediocre white women uh, <laughs> at my job doing all kinds of crazy mess. And she literally went into sister mode and coach mode of saying, well, this is what you need. This And just literally just started pouring into me at a time of my life when I had no idea like what, how to navigate any of that. So that is who Kwamara is to uh, and for me. And um, yeah, that's just who you are. Oh man, thank you guys so much. Uh, and Alushala is my accountability buddy. She is always <laughs> checking in to make sure that I'm doing self-care, which I'm not doing very well, but at least she holds me accountable for thinking about it. Um, but this is a great way for us to segue, which is the pouring in part. So you guys are all here with us so that we can pour into you all around what it takes to raise black and brown children, especially now, 2020 has been such a time. I mean, I don't even know what else to say about it between the pandemic and the racial injustices that we've always known have existed, but have bubbled up to such a, um, a violent and, and politicized surface. Um, and so how are we going to keep our, our black and brown children really safe during this time? What can we do to help our white allies raise anti-racist children? Uh, because I wish I could say it's our generation, but it's going to be the next generation that makes this place a better America, that makes this a better country. And so what can we do to pour into them so that they are the best generation that they can be? Um, so I just, again, want to thank all of my, all my love and my friends. Like this, this is literally all my, like not all my friends, but these are my friends doing this for me on a Saturday to talk to me about something that's really personal. It is personal to talk and vulnerable to talk about what's going on with you as a parent, how you're feeling about um, the situations with your children, um, how unsafe you feel, but you want to protect them. And like, where is that balance? And so the idea that you are willing to come up and show up and be vulnerable and pour into all of the um, people who are, who are watching us right now on YouTube, I just am in gratitude. I really thank you guys so much. So um, I'm really going to hop into it. I'm going to ask them all to sort of introduce themselves, shout out their children if they would like. Um, and I'm just going to go around who I see first. So let's go with Adila. All right. Hi, guys. I'm Adila Hussein Johnson. I um, am a mother to three 
So my eldest, Noah, my first son, he's five. My daughter, who's my middle child, she's three and a half. And then my youngest, Kyrie, is two. So I have three under five. Um, my husband and I both work full time. I run a brand called Base. I'm the president of a brand called Base, and it's a travel goods brand in the consumer goods space. My husband is um, a health, he works in healthcare in business development. So pre COVID, he traveled a lot. So post COVID, we've kind of both been home. And um, my son just started kindergarten. So it's been uh, a very interesting time in our life here at the house. Um, I, I mean, for me, this panel was really inspiring to join because I've always felt um, I was born in Pakistan, grew up for the first 11 years of my life in the Middle East and moved to the United States when I was 10, actually. Um, and then that those first four years in this country were incredibly challenging years for me because it was the first time I was actually ever made aware of my race. Um, I didn't know I was a color or a religion. Um, and it was the first time I was exposed to that because I was actually called an Oreo um, at somebody from school. And I didn't actually even know what that meant. And my father had to explain it to me. And it was a huge learning curve for me. And then since then, having grown up in a culture that was predominantly not me in one way or another, my husband is black, my kids are mixed. Um, biracial, bi-religious, bi-ethnicity. So there's, there are a lot of bi. Um, and I'm actually selfishly on this panel to learn more than I am to speak because I am navigating this space probably as newly as everybody else's. So thank you for having me. Thanks, Adela. Uh, Alushala. Hi, I'm Alushala Tribble. Um, I uh, have one son who is three. I'll use his initials. I use his initials in public, I-J-H-T. Um, and uh, I am uh, um, a racial equity and cultural educator and coach where I um, help institutions to um, really decolonize their imagination from white supremacy uh, to find solutions that are um, non-oppressive. So that's what I do all day uh, and it's a new business. So hit me up if y'all need anything. So, <laughs> um, I, I, so I'm a mommy to one, I'm an aunt and a daughter and a godmom. And this subject is uh, super important to me. I also, I was a teacher in a past life and um, my, uh, and I guess to follow suit with uh, Adila, you know, the first time I remember being racialized was my first day of kindergarten. And so it is important to um, really, and this was in Austin, New York, in Westchester County, New York. So it's important to prepare your children, to give them pride and to prepare your children for what they will be facing because, you know, a five-year-old might not have the words to express, well, mommy, this, you know, this racist incident happened, um, but you just have to notice things you know, notice things. Mommy, nobody would sit next to me on the bus and I was the only brown child on the bus, right? So, um, yeah, so this is, you know, something very near and dear to me as my um, child is, has entered our public school system here in Nashville as a special needs child and has interacted with public school system 
um, sooner than I would have liked. Um, and so um, I'm also here to say what's worked so far, but I'm also very new in the game. <laughs> and so I'm here to listen as well. Thanks. Uh, thank you so much, Alushla, for that. Uh, Yasmin. Hi, I'm Yasmin Fillmore. Uh, I work in philanthropy and, you know, like 10 years of experience in the nonprofit space. Um, I have a just just turned five-year-old little girl, uh, Celine, and um, I've been married for maybe like 10 years to my husband. Um, he is Persian, but was raised in Sweden, so kind of an interesting uh, childhood there. So my child is biracial, but I think um, at least in this country, you know, for now, while she will obviously learn about her Persian heritage, probably presents as uh, Black. And it's really important for me to teach her about her culture, but also teach her about the challenges she's going to face at uh, such a young age, you know, following Adila and Lusa's uh, experience as well. I think we're, we're, we all have been racialized at a pretty young age. And I just want her to be prepared for that and to know that that's not a reflection of her worth, that's other people's problems. And to not let that slow her down in any way and you know, to continue to hold herself in high regard. Um, and I think that's gonna be a challenge every day and that's kind of my job as a mom. So I'm really excited to be a part of this conversation. I think it's really important to prepare our kids. And like you said, Kumar, now more than ever in this really strange space and time, you know, as we're talking about the challenges of both the pandemic and then what's going on around us uh, from a social and political perspective. Great, thank you. Shopei. Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Shopei Ogunyemi Shema. Um, I have two boys. Um, my husband is Rwandan, so my boys are black, dark skinned, you know, black boys. They are um, three years old, just turned three in August, and um, and nine months old. So I have a nine month old as well. And um, I work, um, I work, currently work full time. My husband is not working currently due to the pandemic, um, but he's an accountant. And I've worked for many years in entertainment, um, doing marketing. So i um, worked at a multitude of places across the entertainment industry. And um, yeah, I mean, especially in this moment, um, working from home, trying to balance sort of normalized gender roles, I think for most of us on this panel, you know, working full time and mommy probably bearing most of the burnt, even with dad helping out um, of the childcare and the planning and all that kind of stuff. Um, working, um, dealing with all of the things that are happening, um, you know, in our culture and our society right now at work, and also figuring out how to, you know, talk to your children about it. You know, I think that is something that is really on my mind and it's been, you know, I'm excited to have this conversation because there's just been so many challenges that I've been facing and, um, you know, it's 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 the joy of my life to be a parent to my sons. It's also one of the scariest things I've ever embarked on and I'm, you know, just trying to get through it day to day. So excited to talk to you ladies. Thanks, okay. I love that, that vulnerability that you just brought up a little bit. And Sharita. Thank you. Yeah, I was going to say I saw a lot of head nods when we were talking about like vulnerability and this is all new and we're all navigating like new situations and, and what that means as a parent, um, especially to a black and brown child. So I'm Sharita. 
I am a wife, a mother, a doula, childbirth educator, uh, many, many roles, educator period. Um, and uh, I'm excited because I just launched Parent Epiphany. It's an innovative learning and support platform for parents, uh, pregnancy, postpartum, parenthood. I got y'all covered because it. this is such a vulnerable time. Early parenthood is hard, okay? Like it's hard. It doesn't matter if you're wealthy, if you're poor, if you're educated, if you're not, it is hard. Like no one has the, there is no one solution, right? You have to figure out what works best for you. And it is about navigating, but it's also about building community and having tools and resources and knowing where to go and where you can get possible solutions. So that's what Parent Epiphany is about. And it really came about because I struggled. My husband and I struggled. All the things that we're going to be talking about today, like we have lived it. We're currently living it. And so I'm actually very grateful to have this conversation today um, and explore these topics. Maybe there will be a part two because it is ongoing, right? Like we had a dress rehearsal yesterday. It was amazing. And I'm like, wow, we could, I mean, every week we could probably talk about this, like if we're being completely honest. Um, so I am a mother of two. Um, I am part of a, a, a biracial couple. My husband is white, so my children are biracial. My son is black, um, and my daughter right now, she is what you would consider white passing. And so right now I'm thinking about all the conversations that I'm having, right? Like what it means to be a black boy in America and what it will mean for my daughter to be black white passing in white spaces um, and how she is going to be able to navigate those situations. Like these are realities that my husband and I have talked about, we have cried about. Um, and honestly, it's it's not, you know, like people say it's not fair, life isn't fair. And I'm, I'm gonna use a curse word right now, but bullshit, like we need to learn, we need to rise up and like get over these things so that my kids can feel safe in this country. Um, so I'm really hoping that this conversation can bring awareness and like the hurt that black communities and families are feeling right now. Um, you know, it's not just something that you see in the news, it is a lived reality. So Kamara, thank you again for having us on, for having this conversation. I'm excited to explore these topics, share resources, like find strength in community. Um, so thank you. Um, I love, and that's exactly right. These are our lived experiences. A lot of times people talk about it like it's in theory or it's theoretical, but these things are happening to us currently right now um, and are happening to, to our children. If anyone is wondering like, why did I do this topic? Cause Kumara ain't got no kids. That's right, I don't have any children, but I, I feel like I have raised so many. Um, as my sister has noted, I am the God mother of two of her children. I'm the godmother of five children altogether. Um, I'm also auntie to those two kids. Um, and being an educator, I have actually educated thousands of children throughout the K-12 diaspora and mentored quite a few um, folks who are in college and embarking on their young young careers. So, um, so while I don't have any biological children, I do feel like I'm a mother to so many, because um, it really does take a village to raise a child. Um, I want to actually harp back to our tech rehearsal yesterday, because it was such great conversation. And I'm gonna start off with Yasmin. You've had the conversation with your daughter about her being brown. Can you talk to us a little bit about how that conversation went? What did you say? And then anybody else can, can add after that. 
So, you know, a couple of things brought the conversation about. Obviously, um, the current social unrest, which has been ongoing, but, you know, kind of coming to a head now, again, um, was the first thing. I think I was watching the news more and over the past, over the summer, I was watching the news more and I think, you know, she saw me crying, let's be honest. Um, and we're all home, so there's no way, you know, to close your door and cry. Your kids are going to see it. They're going to see your hurt. And, and you know, I had been debating about when to start this conversation with her, but uh, I it just seemed like the time presented itself. So we watched the Sesame Street special together. Um, she was kind of engaged, kind of not, because, you know, the the puppets weren't the primary focus or weren't, it wasn't as much puppet heavy, right? Um, but we've continued to talk about it. And I've talked to her and said, you know, there are some people that don't like people with brown skin. Um, and I've explained to her, like, that's a problem with them. Like, they have a problem. Like, there's something wrong with the way they think. And they're broken. And it doesn't mean that, you know, there's anything wrong with you. It means that you need to be cautious sometimes, and it's not all people, but, you know, and she said, well, could they hit me or could they hurt me? And I said, well, you know, um, the ones who tell you flat out to your face, they don't like you, they might, right? Um, but other people might not tell you, they just might not be as nice. And she's kind of sat with that. And we've talked about it here and there, you know, she'll come and we'll just bring it up again. And it's an ongoing conversation. But you know, that's the first time I've really had an open, I, I had a direct conversation, but let's be clear, like that conversation starts even before then, like, you know, Kumara, you gave me big hair, don't care. Um, we've read princess hair, which is like about a whole bunch of different black girl hairstyles, you know, whether it's like the snowy day or whether it's like, you know, happy to be nappy or I like myself, like all of these tools I think are so important for brown parents to start introducing to their kids at a really young age because that self-love is critical. Like I wouldn't feel as comfortable telling her that some people aren't going to like her if I didn't know she already runs around being like, oh, I'm cute. Like, and listen, sometimes I'm like, all right, calm down. Like it's a bit much, but at the end of the day, that's really important, right? Like she needs to know her skin is beautiful. Like all the colors of the rainbows are beautiful, of the rainbow is beautiful, but she's going to hear Barbie looks cute, right? She needs to hear the girl with the caramel skin, with the dark chocolate skin, with the cocoa skin, like that she's beautiful, that hair, whether it's, you know, 4C curly or bone straight, that doesn't affect somebody's beauty and that's not where their worth lies. So I think, like I said, while the direct conversation happened recently and, you know, she'll come back to me and we'll talk about it again. And I think it'll continue to get more serious as she gets older. Um, I think it's important that I have that conversation, that I started the conversation now and that I started the self-love early, um, particularly as she starts to enter a school in a suburb that we live in that's predominantly white. She needs to understand like there are gonna be additional challenges for you and to be prepared for that. That's my job as her mom to prepare her. And I feel like I don't want her to ever come back to me and be like, mom, why didn't you tell me? So. That's where I'm coming from. Can I jump in there? I, that's 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 really powerful and amazing because this is something that I've been struggling with with my sons. Obviously, they're still young, right? My son's three, and they're the ones nine. And 
a couple of things is um, we definitely, I was very conscious of um, the subconscious lessons that he could learn, right? As a young black boy looking at media and what, you know, sort of he sees. I mean, I can't think about one preschool show that features a dark-skinned black boy, right? For example, I think Little Bill was one, but that's not on the air for other reasons right now, all this other stuff, right? But like, there's nothing. Um, we watch Doc Monk stuff and it's just started, but he watches Sesame Street, Dora, all of that kind of stuff. And we live also in a predominantly Hispanic neighborhood. Some of his nannies have been also been Hispanic and it's been important for me to teach him another language, which has been Spanish. And I try to speak Yoruba to him, which is my, my native language as well. Um, so he speaks Spanish. He's so such a smart kid. He picks up everything. But I've been very conscious about having books, right? From when he was a baby, we were doing, you know, whose knees are these? And we have this book that he loved, full, full of love, right? Making sure there are Black families, making sure that we're representing in different ways. And when this moment came, it, but but even with that, I think I had my head in the sand a little bit. I think I was like, I... I am a black woman, I am Nigerian. I never had these conversations with my kids. And I'd be curious from you guys if your parents had these conversations with you growing up, because my parents, I mean, you know, I think, um, you know, one of you talked about sort of, you know, going back and, and or Adila, I think you talked about someone calling you an Oreo and your dad explaining. If I had gone to my parents, they'd be like, I don't know, what are you talking about, right? Like they wouldn't have known to even give me, you know, have that. So it's like learning to be black in America was something that I learned. And my parents learned too, as you know, sort of they, they were living here but it was in an adult way and it was, it was a little bit different. And so I think, you know, I have a, a nephew, he's five and, you know, he's had racial, I know he's not five, he's 10 now, but since he was five, he's been having, you know, sort of racialized incidents. And my sister and her husband, um, who are both black, um, both, you know, immigrants to daddy and, and Nigerian, I don't believe had a proactive conversation with him, right? But started having the conversations. And even with that, it didn't occur to me. Yasmin, you say it's so easily right like i my husband and i have both been struggling with how to do it and like i'm gonna take that and that's the conversation i'm gonna have because and i've talked to other people who are like we don't know how to talk about it so like what you did there is so amazing and it's so helpful for me even because i've been trying to figure out how to do that and without making it complicated and um my son you know i think we went a little bit the other way you know we've been dealing with it i don't think he's noticed as much we're very big on emotional intelligence as well and in my head i think my direction has always been sort of having this responsibility to sort of hold his childhood a little bit longer. Um, and I think, I don't know if you guys have seen this movie, um, you know, I think it's called Life is Beautiful. And it's basically, it's a very, very sad movie, but I think about all the time about how this father had, even in these dire straits, right? So it's about a, a, a man in a Holocaust concentration camp and how he kept his son from understanding what was happening until sort of he was freed. I don't know if it's a true story, but it always impressed in my mind the power that parents have to shape their children's realities, right? Even in the most dire circumstances. So my approach had been sort of that, that, right? Really sort of like feeling the range of my emotions. I mean, I'm seeing two therapists right now, including a couple of counselors. I mean, we are in it, right? But making sure that um, I can manage my emotions so that I can be a solid foundation for my children. And he's joyful. He doesn't really sort of, you know, know sort of what's going on. I mean, he's excited. Both parents are home all the time. He's like loving it. But I think, you know, I, so he's not aware of sort of anything happening. Um, but I, I, I've been struggling because I know I have to introduce it. And I think I was telling Kumar yesterday. So I have this picture, which is uh, the Last Supper um, in my sort of like kitchen, which is basically a black version of the Last Supper. And it is a bunch of black, you know, men. Um, holding up and they're all sort of around the table, sort of like just but standing and holding up the black 
power salute, right? And then my, my, you know, so I started trying to be like, oh, you're, you know, and, you know, we did Beyonce's Brown Skin Girl came out and we did a brown skin boy version that I sing to him and he knows and sort of all that kind of stuff, right? So I do Your Skin is Beautiful. I make sure I, Athea is another book that we bought that's a dark skinned, um, you know, black girl. I mean, I have a, I've been, I'm the queen. Like if there's a black person in it, I'm buying it, right? Like I have all of them, right? Um, but, you know, he said, and then he was like, mama, why are they holding up their hands like that? And I was like, I could feel that. I was like, oh my God, what do I say? How do I say the right thing? What do I say? I was like, um, because it's a sign to let them know that, you know, everyone knows that their skin is beautiful or something dumb. I don't know what I said. And he was like, why do they need to let people know their skin is beautiful? And I was like, oh Lord Jesus, I am not ready for this. Um, so I think he just, I, I, I wanted to share that. It's not sort of like answers, but it's just, I think in a lot of um, homes, like it's, you know, I feel like I don't know how to have the conversation, even though I, sh I feel like I should have been ready. I should have known it was coming. And I didn't, you know, I still am struggling with sort of how to tell him people might like him. And I was actually going to ask you about, you know, people might not like you, but I was going to ask you about how you would handle microaggressions. But you said, you know, some people might not tell you, they just might not be as nice. I just, it's so simple, right? And so I, I just wanted to say, that's been my experience, but I really appreciate that I've learned something immediately from you because that's, I'm literally going to use those words and go talk, you know, when I have to talk to them about it and start talking to them about it. So, you know, I've learned something already. Can I, can I, oh, I was about to jump in. I mean, I think as, you know, black parents, black and brown parents, in a real sense, we don't have the luxury of shielding our kids from everything. And something that's really instructive from my parents, because they're very much, uh, you know, Afrocentric, Black power, Black pride all day, every day. Okay. Um, I don't think a day went by when we didn't read something by a Black author. We, when, <laughs> I always make fun of my parents about, you know, Halloween, we either had to dress as uh, a black history, somebody from black history or a Bible character. Like it wasn't, <laughs> that's, that's sort of how I grew up. And I think it's important for us to not adopt um, a white lens and thinking like, oh, talking about race is hard. Children in slavery didn't have that luxury. And yet they still played with dolls. They still rode bikes. They still sang songs. They still told stories. And so it's important to raise your children with the, not only the knowledge of who they are, but how they need to operate in the world so they can survive and so that they can always be joyful. Yet, and even, even through, I mean, the worst thing in the world is when, uh, uh, you know, you, you've raised your kid, you don't want them to go to college and somebody called them a nigga for the first time. Like, and they're like, what, what is happening? <laughs> you know, when I was in graduate school, there was a group of us who would um, a sort of mentor, a group of um, black undergraduates, and they had no, no, no idea what was happening to them because college was their first was the first time that people people were like outright with it and then they're having to sort of evaluate their whole life have I been the pet negro this time blah blah you know and so you need to I think it's important for all of us to um, hold the joy and to always be joyful and to lift up not just the you know hard times stories, but also the good times stories. And so they know who they are. The other thing I feel like 
you, um, it sounds like you're dealing with is a conundrum of being um, a, a an identity placed onto you that's not necessarily yours, but because you live in the United States, people are assuming that about your heritage and your kids' heritage. And that's very real too. And that's a different, that's a different thing altogether. And so I think you have to hold all of it and to be as honest as you can and to um, you know, hold all of it with, you know, in all of its complexity. I was just going to um, say that it's interesting because Chopin, I know the way you speak about it. My husband and I actually made a very conscious decision of which yesterday kind of just shaped, like changed my whole perspective, but um, a very conscious decision not to have the conversation. And it, part of that decision was because we felt that this world was going to educate them by nature of them being who they are at some point, right? And let's try to, Chopin, I think you said it, like preserve that innocence or preserve the lack of having to identify one way or the other. And again, for for me, it's even not more complicated, but it's it's complicated because they have, I'm, I'm an immigrant, my kids are first generation. So it's how do I educate them on race, but how do I also educate them on culture and those, and they're very different to me and they mean very different things. And both of them are big minorities in this country. And, you know, I, I struggle with that. And my son who's five is beyond his years. He is older and he is, he has a very broad mind and he can understand relatively complex topics. And I remember when Amadou Diablo was shot, my husband and I, neither of whom are runners, mind you, we ran, you know, we ran, for the time that everybody I think it was like two minutes and 35 seconds or, or two miles and 35, whatever it was. Um, and, and I've never, I mean, my kids have never seen me put sneakers on and run, nor have they seen my husband do that before. So my, my son asked us like, well, what are you doing? I said, you know, I'm going for a run. And if he looked at me as confused as I would expect him to look at me, like, why are you going for a run? Um, and I said, you know, I'm honoring somebody's life. And, all of a sudden I ended up in this conversation that I was very unprepared for um, because he was asking a lot of questions that were very complex questions of which even at that age, I was un unaware he could even process, right? And Yaz, when you, you just said your first incident was in kindergarten, like that really hit me because I was like, whoa, like I, whoa, like that's my son's age. Um, and I kind of, fluttered. Like I didn't have a good answer and I didn't answer his questions well. And I probably said too much on like the fact that he was killed and very little about the race. Like it was just a mess. And my husband wasn't there. And I was like, Oh my God, I wish he was here. <laughs> like somebody else. And later he came back. He's like, well, what did you say to him? I was like, I don't know. I didn't, I like, I just didn't handle that well. Well, and I think it has yesterday's conversation that rehearsal conversation that we had prepared me that I really need to like this needs to be a very conscious thought process. And it's like, I need to prepare myself more than even prepare them of how to find the words that are appropriate for their age that don't stifle them, but grow them, you know, and, and expand their mind versus contract their minds. 
and that's a that's a hill I haven't even started to climb yet, but this conversation is inspiring me to do it because I'm realizing that my prior mentality of don't address it because hey, they're gonna they're gonna face it anyway, so just don't address it too early is probably a faulty perspective, right? It's probably not preparing them in a way that they're gonna be able to rise to a challenge when they're faced with it in the right with the right toolkit. And yeah, as like you say, our as jobs, I always feel like I want to prepare my kids with the right toolkit in any situation to handle themselves. And I worry about my son, my eldest Noah, because he's very social, you know, like he's very social. He's the kid who would go running towards a cop, not thinking, you know, like he's the one that never maliciously, but because he's so friendly and he's so extroverted that how will that get perceived and, and reacted, you know, and uh, it's it's things that I have to think about now way more consciously than I was expecting to, you know, prior to yesterday's conversation. So a lot. You know, um, I just want oh, it's okay. I just wanted to jump in really quickly because, we, you know, you guys were saying that we were talking about our first experience of being racialized in like kindergarten, like a young age. But here's the thing, like, I think that kids are conscious of that way before that first experience. You know, I think... Celine's first experience, I actually talked to Kumar about because she was like two years old, I think. And somebody had given her Barbie. Like one of my girlfriends had given her, uh, it was actually sweet, right? My girlfriend's kids gave my daughter um, her old Barbie. Like, oh, I love Celine. I want to give it to her. And it was a white Barbie. And Celine had some black Barbies that I had given her. And, or actually multiracial. She had Middle Eastern ones, she had a black one, she had a Latina one, whatever. So, um, we were, she wanted to play with them. And she said something like, oh, she wanted the white one. And I was like, oh, she, she had, she distinguished. And I was like, oh, she noticed, like, what do I do now? And, and Kumara was like, oh, well, she said something about the black Barbie, whatever she said. And I didn't even know that she had acknowledged that there was black and white. That's what it was. And Kumara was like, that's okay. Like, so she knows that they're black. Like, what, what does that mean? Like, what it, that's, that's a good thing that she knows that there's a difference. Let her know who she is. And so I think, honestly, I got to thank you again, Kumara, like for, for encouraging me to have that difficult conversation. And, and one last quick thing that I would say is that, you know, Sope um, and Adil, I think, and I see it with my husband, like being, there's racism everywhere in the world, but the American experience, that's something else. And, and, and to live that, and to have to digest that and, and to give it and, and to explain it to your kids without having grown up with it yourself, that's challenging. Like I see my husband being challenged with it. And I was talking to a girlfriend who works at the UN and she was like, you know, I work with a number of people of color who just aren't Americans and they see what's going on here. And they're just like, they're not ready for it. Like they're, it's, it's, it's beyond what anybody, it's beyond what you can explain to someone. Um, one, you have to live it. And two, there's so many years of history and incidences behind it. So to truly digest it, it's just, it's a completely different challenge. And, and you know, I understand why that conversation might be particularly daunting. I, yeah, I, I was just gonna say, you know, I just like to jump in as um, a mother to biracial children. You know, I'm very much aware of like skin color in our, you know, in our household. And I'll be honest, when I 
uh, was pregnant actually with my first child, I was, um, I had a fear that my child, I would birth a white child and people would think I was the nanny. Um, and to be honest with you, after my son, my son was born, he was light skinned. He's gotten darker over time, but someone did ask me, is that baby yours? So, you know, these are, um, these are, and I, I actually, I don't think that person meant it maliciously. Like, I don't think that was the intention, but we live in a country where like, um, it, it was like normal for that person to ask because that, because we have this white supremacy lens. Right. And so she perceived that maybe this child, because our skin color was different, was not mine. Um, and, you know, and, and so even as like a black parent, like navigating these things, it, it can be difficult. And, um, you know, again, I think about like my daughter and like, well, people think like, oh, your mom's black or how does that work? And, you know, those type of conversations, we're not having them now, obviously, um, in that regard. But I do tell my children on a daily basis, like their skin is beautiful, right? Both of them, like your skin is beautiful. I love the color of your skin. And I think it can be as simple as that, right? Like when we think about our children and we think about race, and I think sometimes we like try to overcomplicate the, the conversation where our children are learning, their brains are developing. And just like they learn language, like one word at a time, like they can learn race in the same way. It doesn't have to be like this overly complex thing. It can literally be like, people have different skin color, leave it at that. If they have questions, great. If they don't, you know, move on. And, 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 you know, so I think sometimes like as adults, we, we place our, right. Our emotions, our, um, ways of thinking onto our children and they don't, they don't necessarily, they don't necessarily think in that same way. So, you know, approach it simply. And then if they're follow-up questions, then take it from there. And ultimately, you know, your child best. So, you know, you have the conversation the way that you feel comfortable. And if you think it needs to be readdressed, then, then do that. But, you know, I think when it comes to parenting, there is no right or wrong way. It's what's best for your family and what makes sense for your child. And every, and, and, and it could be even individualized within your family, you know? So that's also something to keep in mind. Not every child learns the same way. Um, and so I think we just need to keep those, uh, that in mind when we have these type of conversations as parents. I think that's a really good point. Um, and, and I'm gonna, there are a couple of things I, I wanna say and maybe not controversial per se, but just an interesting perspective. I think, um, I, 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 I did, I think, I, it's interesting. I think you're right, um, Adila. It wasn't that I consciously said I wasn't going to have that conversation. I just thought I was going to wait to have it, right? And I knew that at kindergarten, five, like I said, my nephew had to happen at five. So I just thought I had more time, right? Like I thought that it was that, you know, he's not going to school, he's home, so he's not in preschool. And I'm aware, so I, I actually posted a, um, an article, a friend of mine also is also a racial, um, so she's a child. Um, psychologist, and she wrote an article targeted more to white parents, how to um, raise anti-racial kids. But there's the research, right? That as early as six months, 
kids see the difference. So it's not that they're not seeing it, they're seeing it, right? And they start to assign categories, right? If they always see brown, to your point, Sharita, that person asked you because from six months, it's like brown people are the help, right? Like all those faces grouped together, like they start to do that very early because they're cataloging the world. So I think, you know, and, and I think it's interesting because I'm a bit of a hybrid. I think, you know, Ulushala, you said something really interesting in terms of, um, and I, it was actually very helpful to me because it is something I've been struggling with, this struggle of this um, identity placed on me that doesn't match with sort of who I am. I, the, the distinction for me, though, is not that it's because I don't see myself as Black because I did grow up here. So even before I met Kumara, I grew up, I went to elementary school in LA and we lived in a predominantly Black neighborhood. So I do I do feel like... Um, I, I I consider myself a Black American, I, you know. I, I and of course they're and similarly, right? Like we're not all the same. So like there are Black Americans that are different, right? I'm not saying I think it is a different thing from a lived African American experience, but I still consider myself a Black American. And you know, it's always important for me to say Black people are not all the same. We have a lot, of, you know, we're very different, um, but you are still Black. And so I think for me, it was one that you know there are a million things, and I think we can sort of talk about other things, you know. I, there are many things I didn't prepare for, but sort of figured out as, as we w went along and that, that has been my parenting journey. And I think for me, this moment, right, um, in terms of, um, you know, just the George Floyd and the aftermath of that during the, um, really brought it to the forefront. And I think I, I was, I remember thinking, you know, oh God, he's still young. He's not, you know, I have a couple of years. And I think that's true. Because again, like I said, he's fairly sort of isolated. I think it was just, I realized that I didn't know how to have the conversation, right? Like I think it's just, and you know, that's it. So now here's maybe the, the controversial part. And I think Sharita, Adila, I would love your perspective on this. We do not have a white woman who's a parent of black kids on this panel. Adila, so I'm gonna put you a little bit on the hospital. You're the closest we have. So maybe that's sort of the situation, right? And I've known most of you for a long time. So I feel like I can, you know, sorry, I don't know everybody who's watching, but you know, for a long time, so I can have that conversation. but. You know, I think this is one of the challenges, right? Like, Sharita, I think one of the things you were saying, and I understand that, your point, and I don't think it was counter to what Yasmin was saying, but I actually really agree with Yasmin. I think you have to, I, I think race is not one of the things that they sort of don't see or there's like leeway with, right? I think it is that this is what the world is going to do. You have to prepare them. I, I do not agree. And I think, sorry, and I want to be very careful because I'm, I am, I agree with everything you say in terms of, you know, sort of, you have to let people raise their kids in different ways, not one size fits all. And I'm, I, I, I get really annoyed with these sort of mommy wars, right? The stay at home mom versus the working mom, the cook all your food, organic food. Like I, I just, it's so counterproductive to me. One of the challenges for me though, has been around white people raising black children, because I think and not that I don't think you should have it, and sort of Olushala, similar to you in college, we had a, a group, and kudos to a friend of mine from college who ran this group, and this is in the 90s, I'm going to date myself, you know, we all came up together, so we know in the 90s, before we started talking about all this, before Madonna even started all her stuff, right, it was a few white people who had, uh, not a few, quite a, a number actually, interestingly, who had adopted kids primarily from Africa and were raising them in New Hampshire, and we're raising black kids. And there was no thought about the conversation. I mean, it was my friend, God bless her heart, has been an educator and a mama for years. And you know, these kids didn't have lotion. Their skin was literally bleeding and peeling off because they didn't know to put lotion in the harsh New Hampshire winter, 
right? I mean, their hair was falling out lice, all that stuff, because it wasn't combed. I mean, and so I was conscious of this, even sort of in college, that I was freaking that out. And it was very conscious to me that they're going to go to college and have to deal with all the things that you were talking about, not just the physical stuff, which was bad enough, but how to move as a racialized person in America. And I remember, I don't know if you guys are familiar with um, uncomfortable conversations with a black man. And there was a conversation that he had with biracial couples. And I was just, it was a, um, a woman um, who was black and married to a white man and a woman who was white and married to a black man. And the white woman was like, oh, his family doesn't like me. And I just took it so personally. And I just have to know it's not about me. And, I, I, and, and literally the response was, well, people who think like that are narrow-minded and you should just not give them any mind. And I had questions because I mean, like, this was, I was like, well, how are you going to raise your babies, right? Is his family concerned about the fact that these kids are not going to have someone that understands how to help them be black in America. And one of the examples I see all the time is these conversations, these mixed kids are having this moment where they're like, my parents are kicking me out of the house. I'm a black person. My white parent is kicking me out of the house and saying, you just stop talking about Black Lives Matter. You need to stop acting like this is a problem. This is not who we are. But you have a black child and you're not honoring their lived experience. So again, I, I think it's not as simple as sort of like you should or shouldn't do anything. I just think that I, I do feel, and it's something that I've sort of seen a lot about, if you have a black child, I do feel strongly that you have a responsibility, like you said, to prepare them and put them out in the world for that. Because the world is not going to teach them in a good way. Like, let's just be 100% real about that. It's not going to be a good way that they teach them. So I, I don't know I, I, what that means, but that's just sort of some of my thoughts on that. I just want to chime in and just say, I just want to say, I don't think that there's, you know, I do believe that every black child should have right this education that we're, we're talking about. I was just speaking to, um, so I just want to be clear that like the type, right? Like when you have those conversations, sort of the type have the introduction, I do think that is up to the parent to decide like how, how big, how small, what does that initially look like, right? Like Yasmin, for example, she had some incidences, right? And so she felt like she needed to have this larger conversation with her daughter because she was asking questions and there was like a recognition of skin color. I, we just, we haven't been there. So like, we just haven't had those same conversations, even though like, again, my husband's white, right? Like my husband could pick up on those things, but like, or excuse me, our son could pick up on those things, but hasn't. And so we just haven't had like, uh, you know, like this is a white person. And again, it's just like the sl slow introduction of like your skin's beautiful, my skin's beautiful, right? And so I'm not saying that those conversations aren't important. I'm just saying the way that you want to introduce your child to them is very individualized because again, you know how your child is going to respond and, you know, where they... Um, developmentally can uh can understand so i hear you chopay i definitely like i 100 percent agree with you those conversations are critical to our you know black and brown children um and i don't think they should not be happening so i just wanted to make that very clear so, and i wasn't i wasn't trying to say you were because i think we've had conversations before where i know that's the case i just i think was trying to open the conversation in terms of 
looking at sort of, I think, and part of it not in pointing fingers, like my experience, like I said, like I don't know how to have the conversation because my family has not done a great job doing it. Doesn't mean I don't believe we should have a conversation, but that's the reality. I think I was trying to point out that there may be some situations where it is even more sort of like, not only do they do some parents not believe you should have the conversation, right? But in a detrimental way, sort of do not even honor their children's lived realities about what that means. Sorry, I know you were going to say something. Uh, yeah, and Chopay, to your point, I knew one day the conversation would have to be had. I just was hoping time was on our side to some degree. Um, the Probably one of the most pivotal points in the last several years was when Trump got elected because I remember sitting there thinking, oh my God, there are so many people, there's so many more people like him than I, and willing to admit that they are like him than I was wanting to believe in this country, right? And since then I feel, you know, cause my parents and we actually had this conversation two nights ago, they're visiting and, and it was, it's not like all of a sudden this country has become racist, right? It's This has been this world for eons, right? Since probably it was conceived as America. Um, but now people have better phones <laughs> and social media exists. And there is um, an, a feeling of accountability that didn't exist previously that is bringing, that's bubbling. And because Trump, the person who runs as president can speak so big like with so much bigotry so publicly it has allowed other people to feel like well if he can do it i can do it right so there's that is i think like the the intersection of why this is suddenly bubbling in in the way that it is bubbling and for me Chopin, to answer your question i what i struggle with is how do i help my children identify when there's so many different things I want them to identify with because they are black. Yeah. 50, 50% black. They're 50% Brown. You know, if you talk just color, they're American, they're Pakistani, they're Muslim, they're Christian. They're all these different things. There's so many labels that will exist in my kid's life. And I struggle with how do I prioritize or how do I like, when I introduce myself, I usually say I'm a woman, I'm Pakistani born, you know, like that. So those are the things like that's kind of how I prioritize a Muslim, Muslim born. Those are the ways I prioritize my identity. And how will they do that? Because there's so many things now for them that they have to think about that I didn't. Right. Because I am of my parents are both Pakistani. They're both Muslim. They're both. Right. So it was much simpler for me. I do feel like our kids, all of our kids, and just by nature of this this audience, like this panel, there will be many more biracial, bi-ethnic, bicultural kids in our kids' lives than were in ours when we were growing up. And so maybe, maybe there's a sliver of hope that there will be more conversations like this happening in our kids' generation than ever happened in ours. And Chopin, to your point, I never had the conversation with my parents, like until we moved to this country when I was 10. Because before 10, I grew up in a community where it was 90% expats, you know, like the, every, there was like people of every color of every rainbow. And it just wasn't ever anything I ever addressed, which I'm, I'm not saying it didn't exist because I think it exists all over the world. It just wasn't anything that was ever forefront in my mind. 
when I moved to this little town called Northboro outside of Boston, I was the darkest thing they had ever seen. I had a British accent when I moved to this country. I was like darker than I am now because I literally grew up outside all day. Um, and my parents didn't understand this culture and the nuances of this culture. I don't even know if they could have had the conversation because they were learning themselves. And I think my brother was three years older to me and he reacted to it very differently than I did where I wanted to fit in. My accent changed to an American accent almost immediately. I tried to find as many people to be friends with who were very looked very different than me. And as I got older, you know, many people who have known me growing up will say like Adila's always had a lot of black friends. Why? Because it, in my childhood, there weren't as many multiracial children. And the people who were black in my life were the closest people who had experienced anything similar to what I had experienced. And so I gravitated towards that community because I found a voice much stronger in that community than I did in any others. Newark Academy was predominantly Jewish and white, you know? And so there was maybe like 10 of us and we were all friends and, you know, and that, and that's kind of how it, and how my identity got established. So I'm very conscious of the black culture here because I've had a lot of education from my friends, but I'm now, as I get older, I'm struggling with, well, what about all these other things that my kids are also, and how do I, do that all like because you know what you're one percent black you're black in this country like it doesn't matter what you know the, it, like your my kids are black like my kids will be seen as black in this country and that's a whole change of perspective that i have to have also because that's not been my upbringing and i think that's it's a huge and my my husband he's he's of the mentality that i'm gonna rise above it all right my husband worked hard he never let he'll he though he's experienced it many times we most recently got stopped on a bike by two cops two blocks from our house people asking him basically where he was going and what he was doing and and made him sit down on a curb looking up at cops standing at him right and this happened i mean two blocks from our home not even a few months ago and how do we process that because my kids will face that and how do I process that with also, hey, you're also Muslim. You're also Pakistani. I want you to love and, and embrace that, but you're always going to be seen this way. And I need to prepare you for that. Can I hop in? I, I feel like I need to um, put a point of clarification. It's not that um, there are many ways to be Black. And I think what I was trying to say before is that your muscles for talking about race in a particular way is an exercise the same because you don't have the legacy of Jim Crow, slavery, et cetera. And so I think that's important when you're thinking about identities and also you know, even as, you know, my my son is, both of his parents are Black. Um, I think it's important to think about uh, biraciality and multiculturalism differently in the post, you know, loving versus the state of Virginia, America, versus the legacy of rape, slavery, and a different way of being biracial. And I think the, the thing that you're navigating is 
part of the battle that has been won about um, being able to enter into um, uh, loving relationships with people of a different race. And so I think that, and that's all, always complicated. Um, I just wanted to, jump. oh, sorry. sorry. Yasmin, go ahead and have the last comment and then I'll. No, I, I, I just wanted to jump in because Adila, you know, I'm experiencing something similar, you know, Celine will always be looked at as a black child, especially in this country, but um, she's Persian, she's Iranian. And, you know, my husband has this Swedish culture that's definitely a part of our life. Um, and, you know, he's taught Swedish, like at home, that's all he speaks to her. And now he started speaking Farsi to her so that she can learn that and she'll talk to grandma uh, in Farsi when they FaceTime and, you know, Maybe it sounds a little naive, but I don't think she has to choose what she is. She is all of those things. And I want her to have that conviction within herself so that if anybody tries to question, well, what are you? You need to put a label. You need to choose. The understanding that in this country, you know, she's going to be, when somebody sees her, they're just going to assume you're African-American or Black or whatever they're going to assign her, but that she doesn't have to choose because she is all of those things. She speaks Swedish and loves Midsummer and Lucia's Day. And yeah. she likes mac and cheese and, and you know, Juneteenth. And, you know, it celebrates that part of her life. And, you know, she's going to speak Farsi and celebrate Nehru's with, you know, her husband's, my husband's side of the family. So it's, it's challenging because you're, you're stuffing a lot of education in a little kid. But I think kind of like what Sharita said, they don't necessarily see it like that. Like, that's just who they are. And, and as they get older, you know, they might start to be like, wow, that's a, that's a lot. But I think if we introduce it when they're young, just as like, well, this is just your life. This is who you are and have pride in that and keep it moving forward. And don't let anybody tear you down. Like, like I said, my daughter's a little sassy, which is annoying, but I am very happy that she knows she's cute. She knows she's hot stuff. Like, was in class and they were like, oh, what can you teach somebody? Other people were like, oh, I know. I like ducks. I like cats. She was like, I can teach you Swedish. And the teacher was like, she was like, yeah, I can teach you Swedish. So I was like, okay. But that that's important, right? Like that's important for have that level of sense of self-confidence so that she can go forth in the world and say, I am all these things. I don't have to choose. Even if you try to label me, I know who I am. So I know you want to end, but I just want to put one quick thing. I actually, that's exactly what I was going to say. I think, Charita, exactly what you said about we don't have to have the whole conversation right away and you introduce it, I think is exactly the point. This is the point you were sort of trying to make about race, but I think is also one about identity. And I think what I was going to say is that, you know, I actually think that is exactly the point. Um, you know, one is having the language to sort of say, that's who you are and other people that have a problem that you have to have this label, that's on them, right? Not you, people are multifaceted. I think it's a, it started like Yasmin, what you said is making it very simple for me, right? We are what we are and other people that assign things to them, that's a societal problem that we don't have to internalize. And I think to the other point is, I think this is the point about your, you don't have to do it all today. I know as parents, I do that too. I have to start teaching them to be emotionally intelligent. It's not just about their culture, right? I have to start teaching them how to read, how to be emotionally intelligent, how to you know be successful in life today, right? just I think it's sort of giving myself permission as a parent to sort of say we have a by God's grace a lifetime right and it's going to be continued conversations over the the um you know span of their lifetime to do that and finally I agree 
I am so blown away by young people. I was an associate professor at USC for a while and the freshmen, the way they think about things, just think about how kids think about gender today, right? Like ways that they're gonna be teaching us. I think it just don't be so sort of, I have to show them how, they're gonna come to me and be like, mom, you know, some of my friends who have um, elementary school kids, they're like, mom, yeah, that was binary thinking. You really need to become, and, and she's like, oh, oh, okay. You know, so I think don't, be, it is, it's still heavy. And I think that's what I, I took away from this conversation. It was just a racial conversation where we put our lens on it is like our experience and how it holds us that way. But the kids, they bring a fresh perspective. And I think we just take it one day at a time and don't have to start all the way heavy as they, like Sharita said, as they come into it, then we sort of build build up to it. Um, but so I, I, I hear a lot of the anxiety that I have as a parent too, in terms of, you know, it's not, but my husband's a random, I'm Nigerian, I'm teaching them different languages, like all this stuff. And I just try to remember to take it one day at a time and that they'll teach me some of it too, so. Guys, I mean, it's amazing that we literally stayed on one super in-depth topic for an hour, but I think there are so many great gems. We Like yesterday, we were like, we're gonna talk about this and we're gonna talk about that. But no, it was so important that we talked about what we talked about today. This is like, I like how things organically happen. Um, I do wanna get to a couple of more things and then we will we'll, we'll close out. But when we're having these conversations, one of the things that all of you all have said is, making sure that kids feel confident and that you're infusing them with self-love. Are there resources that you recommend to the parents out there, books, TV shows, programs, people they should follow um, in order to get some of those resources? I was just gonna say, there's a lot. I'm gonna post some links in, um, in the chat or the comments so people can access them and they, rewatch this video. I will do that. I will also have stuff on parentbiffany.com. But I, you know, I think to Kamara's point, and, and actually some people mentioned books earlier, which I recommend I also have. Um, so we can list through those again. Um, Yasmin was like on it. So I'll give that to you. But, um, but I just want to say like, there are a lot of resources. So don't get overwhelmed again, like think about it like one day at a time, right? You don't have to like get everything. You don't have to, um, Anyway, I just as a parent, like I know how it can feel overwhelming. And so I just like, I'm giving you permission, right? Sometimes you need that to say like, you just need one book or like, you just need one resource if that's what you want to do. Um, and you don't have to do it all. So I just want to like point that out because I think part of what ha is happening to society today is like, there's so many resources, there's so many places you can go that it can feel overwhelming and you literally don't know where to start. So we're gonna give you resources, we'll give you books, and then just pick one and go from there. So anyway. I mean, I think Google, that sounds cheesy, but it can be your friend to just find additional books and resources. Like I, like I said, I love buying a book with a brown child in it. Um, from TV, I, I like Doc McStuffins a lot. I'm thrilled that Celine likes Doc McStuffins. Um, not only does it feature a brown girl, but her mom's a doctor and it's an unconventional family. The dad stays home. So teaches women strength and that, you know, masculinity and femininity isn't, isn't presented in one way. And to, to buck those stereotypical roles, big fan of Dr. McStuffins. Um, there's a doll, and I'm sorry, I, I will look up the name to share with Kumara uh, that one of my girlfriends who was me, and I'm sure you can Google it, she has um, like natural hair. And so you can like style her hair. She's on back order. So that's why we don't have her yet. But you can use like 
I mean, obviously I'll get inexpensive ones, but you can use like, you know, black girl style and hair products on it. You can teach her how to braid with it. And like, I thought that's such a positive doll. So that's something that I'm looking into. And honestly, recently Barbie's really stepped up their game. You can get dolls that look very different and have very different uh, physiques. There's a chubby one that apparently looks like me, but they have, you know, chubby Barbie. They got skinny Barbie. They got tall Barbie. They got short Barbie. They got Middle Eastern Barbie. You know, Celine's got one upstairs with darker skin. and a um, fro. She had Middle Eastern Barbie with a slightly different nose and, you know, longer wavy hair. So I, I will give props to, I don't know if it's Mattel still, but whoever's making Barbie, you can get ones that look very different, which I appreciate. So some of my resources. I got this book. I can't know if you can see it. Oh, my camera's Thank like you. the opposite. Yeah, you got it. Little it says Little Legends, Exceptional Men in Black History. We actually got it as a gift for my son's birthday. And it walks through like a plethora of people in black history who have accomplished like incredibly notable things. And we read a page, we try to read a page a day and I'm sure they have a woman's version of that. I haven't looked it up yet, but um, that has been really like a really great resource for us too. It's just because it's not, it's not a, it's, it's a little older. It feels like some of the language is a little bit older for my younger kids, but it's so cool. I was going to say, we read Whose Knees Are These? I think Yasmin mentioned that earlier and that's a book that we have and, you know, and, and it's also helpful. Our children are young. So like, you know, we're talking about body parts and, you know, point out your knees and these are my knees. And, you know, again, it's a good exercise if we're thinking about how do we introduce if you want, again, skin color and things like that. And, um, you know, making sure that they know that it's, it's beautiful. And there are people of many different colors and people that look just like them. Um, but I do think it's important to read books. It, like it's important for me to get books that represent people of color in them um, and dolls. My daughter, although she currently is white passing, she has blonde hair, she plays with black dolls. Like it's very important for me that she has that experience. Um, and that's just something that we have decided um, to do. Um, we have lots of books. Um, Shades of Black, A Celebration of Our Children by Sandra Pinkney is a good one. It features um, photographs of black children who are white skinned with blonde hair and green eyes to caramel skin to licorice color skin, different different textures of hair. It's a beautiful book. My son, every time we get to the refrain, I am black, I am unique, he like screams it, it's great. <laughs> and uh, another great book is um, based on the poem, is, is the poem, um, Hey Black Child. Um, illustrations are really beautiful. Um, again, featuring black children of different shades. Um, in the book. Um, and uh, there's a new book we just got called M is for Melanin. Uh, and that's a really, you know, it's an alphabet book. And some of the words are, you know, I mean, melanin is kind of a big word, but my three-year-old says M is for melanin, you know, and we talk about we melanin gives us our skin color. And so um, to really build up that pride, it's, it's really good.
to my last one. So I basically went to my Amazon order and looked up children's books and I have like 15 pages of black books that I've ordered. So I posted some of them in the YouTube chats, but I really like, I've also made a concentrated effort to also find books that just show black families. So whose knees are these? And I bought whose toes are these are big ones. Um, to your point about Emmett's for Melanie, we didn't buy that one, but we bought ABC, I Love Me, which is also similar. It's like an alphabet book. Not Norman, my husband, my husband, my son loves, and it's a black boy is the main character. It's about his goldfish. It's fantastic. Um, we also have, you know, who do I see in the mirror? Um, I love Saturday um, and thank you, Amu, um, also um, are really great. We read all the time. So, I mean, you know, um, I really like um, he's got the whole world in his hands because the illustrations are really these beautiful dark skin skin tones. I'm actually also, I think a lot too. And like Kumar said, I think, listen, we could do this once a month and talk about different things. Cause I wanna, you know, um, I, there are some questions I definitely would love to talk to this panel more about, um, especially about balancing different parenting styles, especially across race is one thing we didn't really talk about. Um, but even without that, right? Just sort of like how you approach that. Um, but I'm also thinking about gender a lot and like trying to get my, my, my son's favorite color is pink, right? And, you know, um, and I'm looking for dolls to get him. So Yasmin, when you get the name of that doll, I have a couple of black dolls, but I wanted, I think it's really important for young boys, especially black boys. We, we socialize girls to take care of their bodies with girls. You brush the hair, you cook, you do all that kind of stuff. And then boys, we don't teach them how to take care of themselves, right? And then their poor wives, we get in a situation that we get into, right? And so I'm really conscious I will say, I w I'm like a feminist, obviously, if y'all couldn't tell. And I was like, I'm so excited to have daughters and raise them and da da da. And God laughed at me. He was like, you know what? You're going to have some sons. And that's how you're really going to raise some feminists, right? And so I really am very conscious of teaching them. I want them to clean up after themselves, to cook, to have dolls and take care of them. Um, and so, um, you know, it's interesting. They sort of, you know, turn out like you. But I, I was just going to say, Yasmin, I know how you say your daughter is sassy. I was like, I wonder where she gets that from. <laughs> That's, that's you know exactly what I was thinking. I was like, yeah, my girl. <laughs> we know why Selena's sassy. She get it from um, grandma. Guys, <laughs> these are some excellent resources. Love it. Before we go, and then I do have one more last thing that I do want to ask you all. But before we get there, my mother is texting me and she wants me to, to shout out the fact that they bought lots of books about black folk, um, that we instilled lots of black pride in our home. And I think that's obvious. It's pretty clear based off of how I've been raised, how I believe in giving back to the black community. My sisters do the same. Um, and then she also has two recommendations for books, The Patchwork Quilt and The People Could Fly. Um, so please look at that. And of course, we also got lots of different dolls that were, and you can imagine when we were growing up in the eighties, it was not easy to find black dolls or black literature. So, you know, they really had to scour through things and Google did not exist. Um, please say so. those again real quick. Thank you, Dr. Jackson. Yes, she got my kid some books <laughs> that he loves too about manners, which I was so excited about. So hey, all of those things we tried to please say the name's patchwork. I'm writing notes too. <laughs> Okay, there the, the people could fly. I read that yeah. too, yeah. but that was incredible. Yeah. I still have my kid one out here. I love it. So the people could fly and the patchwork quilt. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. Um, okay, so I always ask this question, even though I am terrible at it. Um, you guys are all working mothers. You are raising black and brown children. It is COVID. Kids are doing virtual learning. How are you taking care of yourselves? What's your self care? Your routine? I can start. I struggled with this when COVID first hit because I am a severe asthmatic. So 
I couldn't, I can't, I couldn't, my husband still, my husband doesn't really let me go out. So I was like mentally struggling myself with, I'm an extrovert. Um, so not being able to be with people and not being able to go out and do the things that I do that keep me sane was a struggle for me. So I, and I, of, of course, as a parent, I feel like we do this all the time. You kind of push that aside because you're like, oh, I got to worry about, you know, these little three people that rely on me every day. Um, and that got to me after time. And so I was forced not too long ago to start to think about, okay, I have to find something. It's got to be like one thing or something. So now I just wake up 45 minutes early and I work out and that's kind of the, my mo like my time. And it's sometimes I hate it and sometimes I love it. But I think also, um, I'm very lucky to have a husband who we are 50, 50, you know, like we are both in it and he supports me and I support him. And it's a very balanced uh, parenting relationship. I've always been, and I think sometimes we do this as moms, like kind of this martyrdom a little bit where it's like, I have to do everything and I have to be involved in everything. And I have to, you know, and like, if you're not doing it, you're guilty. And if you are doing it, you're upset. And it's just like this, you know, and my husband's very, very good at compartmentalizing. Like he can, when he's at work, he's at work. And when he's at home, he's at home. And then he can always take time to go to this and he never feels guilty. And I've started to adopt some of that is that, it's if you don't spend the time on yourself, you are not as good a parent, right? As you can be because you're like always stressed. And so I'm getting better at it. I'm definitely not there. Um, but I think we, at least I can learn from my husband um, that it doesn't really, you don't have to be there all the time and involved in everything to be a good parent. <laughs> um, and I think that was, it was a, a very big burden that was kind of lifted off me when I, that like light bulb went off. I still struggle with that. And I learned from my husband the same thing. He's with the kids while I'm working. And I learned from my husband, I don't have to sort of like helicopter, right? Like he's like, my son, I was always so focused on like keeping him engaged. And now my son, my husband's with the nine month old and my three year old, like he created a like school routine for himself. Like he gets up in the morning, he does his reading practice and then he practices his shades and, and, I'm, and does drawing. And I'm just like, what? And I would have been like, what? And he just figured it out himself. So I, it, it was good for me. And I think dads are good at that in general, sort of being like, you don't have to be all over with them. They'll figure it out. But um, so that's been sort of my self-care. I think, like I said, before therapy, I think has been really helpful for me. I went for a walk this morning. That was amazing. <laughs> and so trying to get out more on walks, those really, those really helped me just, even if I just go around the block, I think that has been really helpful. Um, and just, um, you know, trying to find time to get rest. I'm a bit of an insomniac and I recognize that when I'm, you know, when you're tired, you're not as good a mom or a good an employee or a friend or a supporter for yourself. So um, those are the three things that I really try to keep really front and center, um, you know, for myself and to make time for, even if the world is going crazy. I'd have to follow suit with you guys and say I'm not great at self-care, particularly in COVID world. I feel like you would think we're home and we'd have so much more time and it's the opposite because there's that bleed, right? There's work, life, school, home, I don't know, this strange hybrid world we're living in. But with that being said, I try to, we have a old school stationary bike in the basement. So sometimes I'll just go down there and put on like some Netflix show and tune out for a little bit and work out. Or like you said, go for a walk. Um, my daughter, just started uh, Pee Wee soccer. So that's where they were this morning, which is amazing. Um, and Papa was like, you stay home when we go. And I'm like, yes, I do. Yes, I stay home by myself. And I think it, it's the, 
the self-care now is like, so the bar is low. The bar is low. Like it doesn't take a lot. Like sometimes I'm like, yes, I got to make dinner with nobody talking to me. Like I'll take it. So I think at, at some time just taking a moment to be alone is almost enough. I don't know. It's, it's enough at these, these days. Yeah, I'll go. Um, I agree. You know, I just, I saw something, it was either on Facebook or anyway, it said, you know, showers aren't self-care. And I'm like, I disagree because that time in the shower by myself, hell yes, that is self-care. I'm sorry. Like this is post COVID-19 or we're living in it and self-care. We can define it any way we want. Okay. Like I was, I was angry because there's so many mothers working, I mean, any working mothers, stay-at-home mothers, we don't shower sometimes. Like we will literally go days without showering. So trust me, a shower is self-care. Do not take that away. Um, so I think it can be as simple as that. I think it can be a five minute meditation in the morning. Um, I also like am not the greatest right now at self-care because my I am working full-time. My children are at home. So it is very difficult. Like I keep saying, we're just like, I have no time away from my kids or my husband. So like it is hard. Um, but you know, just taking those moments for yourself, taking a drive, sometimes we'll take a drive and like, I'll just have my kids like watch a movie in the car and just silent. And like, I can just be in my own thoughts. So I think it can be like, it's our time to reinvent. Like I am never one that like, it has to be a certain way it works, whatever works for you is right. Um, and so like a shower, a car ride, a five minute meditation, cooking, like those are all things that like, if they put you in the zone and they relax you, that is self care. Um, and I will take those moments, especially now given everything. So um, I don't think it has to look one way or fit someone's definition of what self care is, because this is a whole new ball game. Um, yeah, I do want to take more time though to like read. I feel like reading has sort of not not been my friend right now. So I want to get back to that. I need to read a good book. And I think that will, um, you know, that's self care too. So figure out what works for you. And, um, and find strength in that. So I guess I'm on deck. Um, I try to do a lot of things. I don't know if it's any of this working. So <laughs> I um, am trying to get back into my yoga practice at least, you know, three times a week. And when everything's quiet in the house and can light some candles and, you know, stretch and pray. Um, my son and I are always in the car. I think every, th every time Kwamara calls me, I'm in the car, literally in the car, we're FaceTime in the car. Hey girl, we're driving around, whatever. We're, you know, we have a driving playlist and you know, the, the weather here is nice. So we put all the windows down and like bump some music and go, you know, get, I'll have, get a latte, get him a little cookie and we're, you know, on the road and we just, you know, are uh, 
very grateful to have that time. Um, if you have somebody that y'all have been social distancing and y'all can have community together, um, that's something that my family has been doing. My brother and sister-in-law and I have been swapping kids every two weekends. Praise Jesus the Lord. Yes. And my son was just there for two whole nights and mommy got to be by herself for two whole nights. And I'll do the same for them in, you know, a couple of weeks with their, with their three. So, I mean, swapping off when you can, so you can actually take time to be with yourself and to, you know, rest for real rest is super important. And it's been my practice for the past two years to listen, read, watch things that um, bring me great joy, like Insecure, like Real Housewives of Atlanta, like, you know, <laughs> Beyonce's Homecoming. I w literally walked out of a job to that soundtrack. So do things that bring you joy where you're seeing free black folks, where you're seeing free brown folks. Um, and that is, those are the tools that I use. <laughs> the other, I can just, just one thing, Kamara, is I think um, something that has been probably brought to the forefront even more so these last couple months is just a little bit more patience with myself and a little bit more forgiveness because you know, before I had my first, which was like five years ago, I had no iPad before two years old and all the healthy food. I'm going to cook everything and everything's going to be natural and organic. And da -da. yesterday we got our kids McDonald's and they had iPad this morning when I was getting ready for this session. And I think, and you know, if you would have reminded me back five years, I, I would have been like, oh, I would never do that. Like that, that just would never happen. And and I think as parents, we do a lot of judging, not even so much of other people, but of ourselves, because we have these, you know, perceptions of what the perfect parent is. And I saw this meme not too long ago of um, this time and it was a parent and they were saying, you know, like, oh, my God, COVID, it was so hard. It was impossible. I was working at home. The kids were home. And then the kids, it was the kids perspective. And they said it was the most amazing time of my life. My parents were always around. I always got to spend time with them. My siblings were there and we had a lot of quality time. And and it that truly like hit home for me because I think they will look back at this time so with so much positivity. And I think whether they get iPad for extra time that's great for them, but whether they eat McDonald's, whether they are, you know, doing whatever it is that you maybe have told yourself in the past was not the best parenting moment. They will look at that because they're getting so much out of this experience, probably more so than all the things we've told ourselves they're not getting. Um, and I think it's just a little bit of forgiveness and patience and realizing that like we're all doing the best we can. And to them, it's like a dream come true. Thank you for pointing that out because this is definitely a time of forgiveness and also like changing our expectations. I know just on a, you know, personal level, um, my daughter is actually still breastfeeding. So she's 18 months. And uh, with my first child, I wanted to stop breastfeeding at a year. And I think we stopped at like 12, you know, we stopped at like 14 months. Um, and it's just been, it's, 
I don't want to say impossible. I'm sure if I really, really wanted to do it, I could, but we're home all the time and we're hanging out. And so she's like, like, she will let me know and she wants my breast. And I'm like, okay, like, you know, and that's just something that I personally like had to get over. Like, I can't believe my daughter's 18 months has a mouthful of teeth now and she is all my breast, you know, and, and, and that's just like the reality. And like, I had to forgive myself. It may seem really small and, um, but that just wasn't my expectation. And so, um, those are like real realities, something as small as that, something as small as screen time, um, you know, whatever. So thank you, Adila, for pointing that out because it, it is a lived reality right now. Forgiveness is huge. Awesome. Guys, thank you so much. We talked a lot about having grace. So that's what Dila, Shredo, you guys are talking about. It reminds me just in general, let's all have grace for one another, for the circumstances that we find ourselves in. I cannot thank you all so much for spending what, like two hours with me <laughs> um, during this morning time. I think it was amazing. We talked in the beginning about pouring into somebody. I think we have just poured into all of the hundreds, thousands, whoever, whoever else is out there is going to watch us. We have poured into them. And what I love is that you guys poured into each other, right? We've already created community. We've already learned and grown and share, shared knowledge. Um, we're going to have one last word from our sponsor, and then we're going to go in our follow-up email. I will link everybody's social media if you would like to get in contact with these lovely, amazing women. You want to chit chat with them, talk to them about motherhood, whatever. Uh, they have knowledge, wealth of knowledge uh, across the board. So let's hear from our sponsor one more time, and then we're going to sign off. Thank you guys so much. Really yeah, and I, I yeah, and I, I just uh, think, um, I think black parentpreneurs matter. And, and the reason we exist is to, like I said, make them the best parent entrepreneur they can be. But also we want them to raise delightful black children and send those children out into the world. And that will be our gift to humanity. Great. James, thank you so much. James and the Parentpreneur Foundation, thank you all so much for sponsoring. I'm a black woman. Yes, I matter. Parenting black and brown children, both the US and global edition. Thank you so much. Thank